welcome to the Men's Leadership Network. Special welcome to everybody watching at satellite locations all around town. Uh, I'm probably not the only one that was difficult to get up this morning, a little darker this morning, a little, a little extra coffee. Um, excited to have you join us. A quick reminder before I in- introduce our speaker, if you have questions, if you want to tweet them in, if you want to email them in, or chat if you're at the live locations, uh, watching online, you can chat those in. We're going to have a time of uh, questions and answers here at the end as we wrap up. Uh, today is my pleasure to introduce Chris Dolberry. Uh, we're going to be discussing key issues men face, and Chris is an expert in this area. Chris, a little background, graduated in 2001 from Auburn University, uh, so a good SEC school. After uh, Auburn, uh, he went to Divinity School at New Orleans Baptist Theology Seminary. That was in 2005. He currently serves as the men's ministry specialist at Lifeway Christian Resources here in Nashville, where he develops tools and resources to equip men in leading well where they are called. Other past experiences in leadership include executive pastor of ministries at LifePoint Church in Smyrna, executive editor of Stand Firm, a men's devotional magazine. Uh, And then I thought this was neat. Chris has been involved in starting, helping start seven churches, seven churches. So a lot of experience there in getting churches off the ground. Uh, He's also a vision caster for men's special events like the main event, which is coming up next summer, July of 2016. He's a preacher, he's a teacher, and a resource uh, to, to men. Uh, he's married to his high school sweetheart, Vanessa, Vanessa, for 15 years. They've been married, and together they have three kids, Connor, Emma, and Brady, spaced out 13, 10, and 7. So that's some pretty good space in there, Chris. Um, please join me this morning in welcoming Chris Dolberry. Yeah, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Hey, we're pumped that you're here. Thank you, man. Thanks. Glad to yeah, be here. Great, Glad to be here. Great bio. You sound awesome. Oh, man. None of that's true. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so, well, tell us a little bit about your family yeah. and just kind of your career. And Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Alabama. Um, actually, the, the, what a lot of people don't know about me is that I was adopted when I was five months old. I'm not even sure you knew that. I didn't actually. know that. I was adopted when I was five months old. My parents are amazing. Uh, uh, and uh, my, my, my biological parents, I've, I've uh, met those guys. Really? Uh, but then my adopted parents are awesome. Took me to church my whole life. Um, the Lord called me to ministry when I was 21, um, and uh, so started in student ministry. Actually, I was a student pastor part-time at a, at a little church in Auburn for a couple years when I was in college, and then kind of moved from there to some different roles and um, served all across the country, actually. Was served in Alabama primarily for the first part of my ministry, and then uh, had a little hiatus in California, uh, jumped over there and served at California Baptist University for a time, and then back here to Nashville, and, and then to LifePoint, and now at LifeWay. Wow. And uh, yeah, married 15 years. Vanessa's my high school sweetheart. We, we met in fifth grade, uh-huh. and um, then we started dating in tenth grade, and then uh, got married our, our last year in college. Connor, Emma, and Brady, and uh, they're, they're, our kids, they're awesome. They yeah. are awesome. Yeah. You have a great family. Yeah. Great family. Yeah. Hey, tell us a little bit. You work with guys all over the country, yeah. you know, and uh, mm-hmm. just in your role at Lifeway and men's ministry. So, so tell us kind of what do you see or issues that men face? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> there are a lot of them. I think primarily they're, they're really kind of fall into three buckets that we try to address at Lifeway. Okay. Um, the, the first thing really is that what we see is that men aren't connected to other mm-hmm. men. Um, I read an article the other day from the Huffington Post. This, they interviewed this uh, nurse who deals with patients when they're dying, and um, they asked her, what are the five top regrets that people have on their deathbed? And uh, they all dealt with relationships. But number four on the list was that, that people say they wish they had more time to invest with their friends or had invested more time in developing friends. Uh, men don't have friends. Mm-hmm. 5% of guys age 18 to 39 actually 
would say that they have a friend besides their wife. And yet, what you see in Scripture is that it's incredibly important. In fact, God created us out of relationship. Like He Himself, the Godhead, is relationship and created us for relationship. And yet, men don't have any tight, close, um, you know, relationships. And so, one of the things that we try to help churches do uh, is is help men get connected in in close, authentic, uh, good relationships that can spur each other on toward spiritual maturity. In fact, Hebrews 10 tells us that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. 24 and 25, spur each other on toward um, spiritual maturity. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. In those days, you know, Jeff, they, I mean, they met together daily, mm-hmm. you know, as, as followers for encouragement, for prayer. And so we see all the time and all across the country, men just aren't connected to other men. And it's mm. incredibly important that they are for those things. The, the second thing that I think we see <clears throat> is in the lives of men is that men aren't being discipled. We have a lot of men that go to church, but not a lot of men who are involved in intentional, incremental disciple-making relationships. In fact, in a, a survey said that only 1.3% of men are involved in any kind of intentional disciple-making relationships. Uh, and, and so, you know, deci- you know, as a mm-hmm. pastor, oh, disciples yeah. just aren't mass produced, mm-hmm. right? You, we can't just sit here and preach or stand here or whatever and, and preach good sermons and expect people to be discipled. Mm-hmm. There, there has to be, first, a connection and relationship. Second, men have to be in an incremental, intentional disciple-making relationship. And by and large, we're finding that they're just not. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that we try to do at Lifeway, at least, is provide resources to help men mm-hmm. in that process. Um, so that's two. The third thing I think that we see uh, is that our issues with men is that, that men don't know their purpose. Mm. And you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you see that God created men with a purpose to, and you created Adam, he placed him in the garden to work and to keep it, right? Mm-hmm. To cultivate uh, an atmosphere of flourishing in the created order. That's what God created man for. And to do those things to reflect his image, right? To, to be just a mirror of who God is uh, in the world and every, in every relationship that he encounters and everything that he does. <clears throat> and so all throughout scripture, you see these pictures of, of men specifically working that purpose out in different ways. You get to Ephesians 2 verse 10 and you see Paul say, you know, you're God's workmanship or masterpiece, right? Poema is the word. You're God's masterpiece created specifically that way for the, for a purpose. And that purpose is for good works. You know, our, our purpose in the world is to take the gospel to the nations, to people who've never heard the gospel, to reflect the glory of God everywhere we go. And by and large, what we see is that men just don't understand uh, that that story, that bigger picture, first of all, but then under that, they don't understand their part in it. They don't know who they are, how they were made. You know, we, we know that, that, that what Ephesians 2.10 tells us is that men were created specifically with a certain personality type, um, a certain, God gave them sovereignly certain experiences, mm. uh, different passions, different skill sets. We all have those things and God gives us those to be able to live out specifically in the domains in which we live and work and play our mission and purpose in the world. And yet what we find is that men don't, don't know what that is. And so what, I read a statistic the other day that said men between the ages of 18, I think it was 18 and 42, changed jobs 11 times, 11 times because they're trying to find fulfillment in other wells other than the purpose that God created them for. And so we find men aren't connected, men aren't discipled, and men don't know their purpose, I think are the primary issues we're seeing and trying to address. Wow. 
when you say that, do you, do you think it's more difficult to be a, a man today versus years ago? You were kind of alluding yeah. to that a little bit. I mean, talk about that. Do you think there's, yeah. there's something about our culture? That's a really good question. I think the challenges that we face today um, are different, obviously, than yeah. generations prior and different than the generations that will follow us. I, I think there are unique challenges. I mean, our dads and our, certainly our granddads never had to deal with the, the prevalence and availability of pornography oh, like yeah. we have it today. Yeah. Certainly didn't have to deal with those things. So the challenges are different, but <clears throat> I really think that you can go all the way back, go back to the garden again, you go all the way back to the garden and see that when Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and ate it and sin entered the world, the problem that entered the world that day was the problem and has continued to be from generation to generation. Yeah. At that point, everything broke. And so I think it's easy to look at our challenges today and go, oh, it's more different. My dad didn't deal with that, so it must be more difficult for me. But I, but I really don't think that's true. I, I think they're different. I don't think they're more challenging. Um, and, and I think the problem is and has been the problem ever since the fall, and that is when sin entered this creation, everything, everything, everything fractured. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because if you go back to your first point when you were talking about men need friends and relationships, you know, and you, you look in the past, it would have been hard to connect. You're working on a farm, you know, you're, I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're spread out. It's true. Today, you, you've got all these people, but just because you've got people around you or you're connected through social media, doesn't really mean you have close friends, that right? Really it's true. A lot of acquaintances, but not a lot of, yeah. of, of good, authentic friendships. Yeah. yeah. How do you get to that point then to be able to, to, uh, to have those friends? How do you get to that point where you are able to open up and and to share life with other guys? Well, I think it's authenticity is the first thing. Mm. You, you've got to be willing to just say, you know, here I am, you know, yeah. here. and, uh, and yeah. I think men are afraid to do that because men are afraid to fail. Um, we're, we're wired uh, as men to take the hill, you know, for achievement and yeah. success, and we're driven toward that. And so to, to, to be in a friendship with another dude where um, you, you, you know, have to admit often or admit failures, be authentic and admit failures, uh, we, we just don't want to do that. We're right. afraid of that. And so instead of admitting failures, we'll just not engage with other, with other guys. Mm. And so uh, I really think though, for real discipling to happen, <clears throat> we have to be willing to be completely vulnerable, transparent, and authentic. So does that come back to pride? Is that like, the, is that where it is or is it? Man, I, I, I think so. I think so, Jeff. That's a really good question. And I think that, I think that part of that, that drive toward achievement and success is part of how God wired the masculine heart. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we like the movies we like. You know, there's yeah. a scene in Remember the Titans. That's my oh, favorite yeah, movie. Right. There's a scene in Remember the Titans where the, the defensive coordinator brings his team over and he says, we're not going to gain another yard, mm -hmm. you know, and the whole deal. And we just... I hear that I actually get emotional when I watch that movie. We love movies like that, or Gladiator or yeah. Braveheart or whatever it is, <clears throat> because there's something in us that resonates with the fight and mm. taking the hill and being the hero and all those things. So there's part of that that God wired in us. But I do think that when, when because of sin and brokenness in us, what happens is that that heart that God gave us falls into a ditch uh, of sinful pride and we start elevating ourselves over everybody around us. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're not willing to open up and be honest about what's really going on in our life because we don't want to seem like, gosh, I don't have it all together, you know? That's so, true. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. talk about what, what are the biggest challenges, you know, we're kind of hitting on some of these, but 
but you alluded to it, I think, with your point number two, but just what, what, are, your, what are some of those biggest challenges that men face yeah. today? It's a good question. I, I think that, that sin and the fall, mm-hmm. uh, the brokenness from the fall, primarily work their way out in the lives of men in a couple of ways. Okay. Um, Matt Chandler is a pastor of a church mm-hmm. in, in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area called The Village, and <clears throat> he, uh, he says those two ways are sinful aggression and sinful passivity. Um, and so I'm going to talk about aggression for just a little bit first. I, I think that, that sin works its way out in the lives of men uh, in, in sinful aggression in several different ways. I mean, uh, you know, we think about, uh, you know, men being tyrants or bullies or those kinds of things. That's certainly an obvious way that aggression works its way out in the lives of men. But other ways, I mean, domestic violence obviously is, is one of those. By the way, I read the other day that one in three uh, women are are victims of domestic violence. That really wow. surprised me. I didn't know it was that high. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, significant. But another way I think aggression works its way out in the lives of men uh, is, is I think pornography and sexual sins. Mm. Uh, you know, th- those any. Uh, and so let me label aggression and what aggression is. I think aggression, sinful aggression, is anything that uses another person for your own personal gain. Uh, and so, obviously, sexual sins fall into that category. Uh, pornography is a huge, 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 huge issue yeah. in our day. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually a $10 billion industry, which is more than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. Wow. Every, three se- or every second, $3,000 is spent on pornography in our day, every second. Uh, it's a huge, huge, huge issue, and, and I think is a reflection of the fact that we've fallen in the ditch of sinful aggression using the actors in what, or whatever, the images or videos or whatever it is, for our own personal gain. Wow. <clears throat> and so I think, um, I think aggression works its way out definitely in sexual sins. In fact, you could even go further and, and talk about adultery, and adultery is really born out of selfishness and, and, <laughs> and selfish aggression, for that matter, using someone else for my own personal gain gain, 35, I read this the other day, 35% of, of, of men in churches have had an extramarital affair. Now that may be a little high. And I read that and I go, ah, that, wow. I don't know that, third, that, that yeah. may be a little high. Um, but nevertheless, it's a significant issue. Yeah. Hey, just camp on this for a second. But yeah. When you talked about pornography, I mean, I think uh, a lot of us are dads, you yeah. know, yeah. how do we help our Children, how do we help our sons? Oh, man. How do you process? I mean, you're a dad. You've got, you know, how do you help your son? I mean, he's coming of age in a lot of ways, you know? (laughs) Well, I'll just tell you, those are, um, those are issues. I certainly don't have it all together as far as that's concerned. And we're wrestling with that Mm -hmm. and how to do that well, just Mm -hmm. personally. And I can't by, uh, by any stretch of the imagination sit here and say that I'm an expert in that area. But what I can say is that we've tried to be real intentional with, with our son. He's 13. Um, and so a couple of years ago, actually, we began the conversation about that. I don't remember exactly, but um, we kind of sensed that it was, this is the time. We need to start talking about those things with him, and we did. And, and hopefully, uh, what, what I want to be as a dad, and what I think is important, especially with this kind of issue, sexual yeah. issues, is that I, I never had really, though my dad is awesome and wonderful, he, he wasn't like a coach in this sense with me. I mean, I, I, here's what I remember my dad saying. I remember my dad saying, boy, keep your pants up. <laughs> it's about it, right? That's about, that's about Thanks, it. Dad. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Um, but, but he never really prepared me 
as a coach would prepare his players um, for what they're going to see on the field for mm. every scenario you know sitting and watching film rewind watch it again rewind watch it again you're going to see this and if you see this do this you know kind of deal and so that's kind of the way I've tried to address this with my son though mm-hmm. um, is is to prepare him for the scenarios that he might engage with so we've talked about different things that may happen and I and I one of the things that I've told him is that I want you to be uh, um, free, um, feel, feel, feel like you're able to come to me uh, and tell me when you engage with pornography. Because here's the reality, Connor, I've just admitted this to him. You're going to engage with pornography at some point in your life. You're going to absolutely going to happen, right? I'm not going to be naive dad and go, that's not going to happen to my son. <laughs> you know, it's going to happen in his life. And I've told him that. And obviously I've said, but Connor, you know, obviously that, that doesn't honor the Lord. I don't want that for you. I'm certainly not giving you permission to now walk out of here and engage with pornography. I just recognize that at some point that's going to happen in your life. And when it does, please please, please tell me so that at that point I can, I can help you walk through this in a way that honors the Lord, deal with the sin in your life. We all struggle with it, you know? And so I've tried to create this environment with my, with all my kids, um, that, that, uh, that they're free to screw up Mm -hmm. because the fall has broken them the same way it's broken me. And I want them to, to feel the freedom to be able to come and tell me, um, when they're, when they've fallen and when they've messed up so that we can walk through those things and I can and point them <clears throat> toward repentance in the right way. Man, I love that you're proactive in that, you know, because I think a lot of times we're reactive, right? We're sitting back and we're waiting for, our, you know, how do we talk to our kids and we don't know, so we kind of stay out of it or, yeah. you know, we see issues going around and so we're not like, sure how to deal with it, but to step into that, you know, and I mean, none of us are perfect. We don't all have the no. right answers, but no. you're stepping into it with Connor, you're stepping into it with your family, you're stepping into it in the culture and just saying, Listen, you know, we got to stand up for what we believe. And, yeah. and that's, that's huge, yeah. Chris. And I yeah. appreciate that about you. Yeah. I mean, why is this so important? I mean, for men to succeed, as you, as you look at this, uh, as, as we raise up the next generation of, of men, as we are the generation right now, I mean, why is it so important for men to succeed? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, what we know is that, I mean, let me go back to the fall again, not, yeah. not the fall, but to the garden again. Okay. Um, and, and what we see is that when God created Adam and he placed him there to, to work and to keep the garden, um, what's amazing is you look at Genesis 1 and a certain word is used for God. It's a very sort of, not, not generic, that's probably not the right way to say it, but a general term for God it kind of indicates God as creator. But then you get to Genesis 2, which is almost a zoom in of the creation uh, in, in, and it and becomes more personal. And so the word that's used for God in, in that particular chapter, chapter 2, is the Lord God. It's, a, it's, a, it's covenant language. It's about relationship and intimacy. And so what we see in that and then what God did in Genesis chapter 2 with Adam when he placed him in the garden is that he, he created Adam for intimacy and walked with him and gave him a job to do so that everything he would do would reflect him, but it was all born out of intimacy, Mm. intimacy with the Lord. And he did all of that before he ever even created Eve. I find that significant uh, because I believe what God was doing there was recognizing the fact, the way he was creating man and creating man to act. And that is that he, he knew that if he got it right with Adam, 
that, that then Adam would reflect that with Eve. Mm. But if everything wasn't right with Adam, then Adam would sure mess Eve up, right? And so, uh, and so I think at, we know this. You, wow. you look at it uh, sociologically, you look at it economically, you look at it in the church, in the home, any way you want to look at it. And what you see is that as go the men, mm. so goes the family, mm. so goes the church, and so goes the community. You, you look at the family. I, in fact, <clears throat> the first church I ever served at that little church in Auburn, I remember my first day on the job, the pastor told me this. He said, he said Chris, your job, I was a youth pastor, he said, your job here is really important. When we reach the kids, we'll reach the rest of the family. When we reach the kids, we'll reach the rest of the family. And I thought, yeah, man, that's awesome. I'm going to do my job and we're going to grow and it's going to grow our church and it's going to be incredible. Uh, but the reality is statistically, that's not true. No. You reach the kids, the rest of the family follows about three and a half percent of the time. Now, you, you reach the, the mom, you reach the woman, that statistic improves a little bit. You reach the rest of the family 17% of the time. But you reach the man and he gives his heart to the Lord, submits to, to, uh, to intimacy with the Lord and to leading his family toward that intimacy with the Lord. And 95% of the time, the rest of the family follows. You see that picture in scripture. I mean, you, you go back to, to Acts chapter 16 and the, the jailer and, you know, Paul and Silas were in jail. The whole deal happened. The dude was going to kill himself. And they said, wait, 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 wait. Uh, you know, here, and they told, told the guy the gospel. They ended up going to his house for dinner. His whole family then in Acts 16 follows the Lord. Mm. I mean, you, you, could, you could tell story after story after story of that very thing happening. As goes the man, so goes the family. Uh, when, I mean, you see that in kids. Kids typically follow daddy. Mm -hmm. And it's our job as men not to, to relinquish uh, the responsibility to our wives mm -hmm. to spiritually, to, to disciple our kids. Man, it's, it's our job. It's our job to set the spiritual climate of the home. Uh, and so, you know, as go the men, the reason it's important for men to succeed in this is that uh, as go the men, so goes the home, but also so goes the church. You look at the church, you oh, yeah. study, study churches around the world, churches that do the best job at reaching men and raising up male leadership are also the fastest growing churches. Mm -hmm. um, and we see that over and over and over and over again. So one of the things we're trying to do is to help churches understand what it looks like to raise up men as leaders. Leaders, um, and to create a masculine spirit and unleash the masculine spirit in, in those churches. Um, and, and then you look at the community. Go beyond the family to the church and go beyond the church to the community. And what you see is incredibly high percentages of uh, rapists, murderers, uh, and on and on the list would go of major crimes. The, the majority of those people, overwhelming majority of those people that are in prison for those crimes came from fatherless homes. Yeah. Homes where dads didn't engage and didn't understand this. What you see is um, where, where men forego their responsibility to be the spiritual head of their home, everything around them burns. But, wow. where, they, where, they, but where they do it well, churches, homes, and communities flourish. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that's huge. It's I mean, incredibly you know, huge. Yeah, yeah. So how can we be those spiritual leaders? I mean, how, how are we to do that, you know? Man, that's a great question. And, you know, you sent me the questions ahead of time, and I sat and looked at that and went, um, <laughs> you know, uh, first I would say we can't. Mm. I, we can't. There's absolutely impossible. If, if anybody uh, was, was here, and uh, Franklin, the day we, Vanessa and I, my wife, shared our story, mm. um, what you know is that, 
that I tried for years. I tried to be the spiritual leader of my home and I just, I just couldn't do it. And, and there came a point that was, that was really uh, impactful in my life. And if you were here, you know the story, but it was really impactful in my life. And what I realized that as hard as I try in Chris's own power, there was absolutely nothing in my own power that I could do to do anything of significance for the kingdom, including leading my family spiritually. I just couldn't do it. Paul said, uh, you know, his great, in Philippians 3, his greatest attempts at being successful in, in anything in term, uh, spiritually, making God happy, doing anything impactful for the kingdom, his greatest attempts were waste, mm. were, were were in, to use his language, his crude language in Philippians 3, were dung, mm-hmm. right? Is what he said. They're waste. They're ridiculously insignificant attempts to do anything significant in, in terms of uh, making God happy or doing things well for, for the kingdom. He couldn't do it. Uh, the Bible would tell us that our, our attempts at righteousness are like filthy rags. Mm-hmm. We can't. We're, and because we, we can't do this because we're broken because we're broken because of the fall. There's something in us that, that's broken. In fact, the Bible would call us enemies of God. The Bible would call us, would say that we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And what can dead people do? Nothing, mm. right? Uh, and, and so I love that story in, um, I think it's Ezekiel, I, think it's th- I know it's Ezekiel, I think it's 37. The story of the Valley of Dry Bones, mm-hmm. you know, and, and God gave Ezekiel uh, this prophecy and what he sees and all these dry, dead bones laying around and all of a sudden the presence of God comes through and awakens them and they become alive again. And so I think for us to be able to lead our families well, we have to recognize that there's nothing in our own power that we can do to do it well. Even our best attempts will fail. And that's why we have the presence of God in our lives, the spirit of God in our lives who comes in and awakens the deadness within us and allows us to lead and be the head of our families in a way that we can't by, our, by ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no way that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps mm-hmm. and do this well, mm-hmm. right? And so in the role that, uh, that I live in as, as leader of men's ministry at Lifeway, you know, part of my responsibility is consulting with churches but also doing our own events. And what I find in a lot of men's events across the country is that lots of men's events are all about telling us how to be a better man ourselves. You would get on the men and say, you, you just, we need to, you need to do this and this and this and this, and that'll make you a, a better man. And, and, and I just, man, I, I just don't think that's true. I don't mm. think it's possible to do enough to check the boxes off to make us a better man or make us successful at this outside of just recognizing our complete desperation for the Lord to do it through us. Mm. And so that's what I, I, I try to do in my life every day um, is, uh, you know, I do a thing every morning. I call it the, the, the first five. And I learned that from somebody. I'm not sure who it was, but somewhere along the way, I heard somebody talk about that. And so I spend the first five minutes not looking at Facebook or, or Twitter or whatever, but the first five minutes of my day just saying to the Lord, I'm desperate today. Uh, Chris and, and the, the abilities you've given me or not given me are not enough to lead my family the way my family needs to be led. Uh, I cannot do it because I'm broken. There are parts of me that don't look like you, Jesus, yet. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm working on those. I'm giving those to you as I realize them. I'm giving those to you. But God, I am desperate for you today to do it through me. Um, and so I would say to answer, your, it's a long answer to a short little question, but I would say we can't mm. um, do it on our own, in our own power. I would also, let me just say this other little thing about the question you asked. The other thing I would say is, we can never lead anyone to somewhere that we're not, 
right? And so to expect to be the leader of our family and ourselves, not be at least one step further along in our spiritual journey than our wives and our kids, we just can't do that. We can't lead somebody to, to places where we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say to, to men, we must recognize that the spiritual climate of our homes will be set by us, but not by the way, by, by the things we say or whatever. It'll, it'll be by the, the realness and authenticity of what our relationship with the Lord looks like. And that, by example, uh, will lead our families one way or the other, mm-hmm. right? So if we want our families um, to, to succeed spiritually and to be fulfilled spiritually, to find their purpose, to be discipled, to look like Christ, and we gotta, we got to have all those things going in our own hearts as well by recognizing our desperation for the Lord, utter desperation for the Lord. And I love how you talked about that because, you know, it, again, it goes back to not just being passive, right? Yeah. And sitting back and being reactive. It goes to being proactive. I'm going I'm yeah. to find my identity in Christ yeah. first five minutes of the day, right? Yeah. That's where I'm yeah. going to start. I'm going to pray for my family and then I'm going to engage with my family, yeah. right? Yeah. And, I'm sorry, go. No, I was just saying that's, that's so important. I mean, to be the spiritual leader does not mean you sit back. To be the spiritual leader means you engage. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. I think there's so much in our society that wants to make men passive. Yeah, yeah. Especially in today's culture. Oh, man. Uh, you, you totally hit on that. I was actually going to say that. Passivity is, is incredibly, incredibly rampant in our day. I mean, you just watch sitcoms today. And we were laughing yesterday afternoon, actually, when I got home from work and getting ready to come to church, but um, that some sitcom that our kids were watching, I think it was on Disney Channel, just about all of them have the the male character is is a moron. Yeah. You know, who's passive and uh, doesn't have a clue about life or anything. And, and, And the reason that's the case is because Hollywood reflects what Hollywood sees in the culture and just exploits it a little bit for comedy. But that is that men are just passive. We're, we're more worried about, we're more concerned, uh, we're, we're less concerned about being courageous for the fight of the kingdom than we are. Uh, we're, we're less concerned about that and more concerned about sitting on the couch and relaxing. Yeah. Exactly. Right? I've had a hard day. Let me just sit here and relax yeah. for a little bit, mm. right? When God designed us, in a sense, to to be tired because the constant flow of our lives is wringing our lives out for the sake of our wives and our kids and the mission that we're running after in the world as we connect to the kingdom. And, and so, but, but I think we, guys, we, we want to be passive. Mm. We want to be passive and relax and get rest and kick our feet up and watch the ball game, mm-hmm. right? And God hadn't called us. In fact, that's what brought sin into the world to begin with. Well, you, you see that, that God uh, told Adam all the responsibilities that he had, don't eat from this tree. And the next thing you see is the enemy tempting Eve, yeah. tempting Eve. And you want to go, where was Adam? Yeah. He was passive. <laughs> he wasn't there uh, because he, he didn't enter uh, the, the fight of, of uh, leading and being the head of his wife and, yeah. and, uh, and, and helping her uh, maintain holiness. Wow. It is interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, I just, you wake up one day and you're thinking, okay, here's a prime athlete who now becomes a woman in our society. Yeah, yeah. And what... I'm just baffled by that, you know, but I mean, as men, it seems like our society is pushing men to that direction, you know, be passive, you know, just sit back and become, and you're going, no, yeah. you know, you have a calling, you have a responsibility, yeah. you engage, yeah. and, and ah, I just, I think when we fall for this 
comfort we fall for this lie yeah. is when men end up on the sidelines and then you watch as families, you just, you nailed on the head. You just, families, societies, culture goes down a different path yeah, yeah, men don't lead. It's absolutely true and I've seen it in my own life. I mean, it, again, I go back to my story. If you were here, guys, or watching online and you heard the story of my wife and I, I almost lost my marriage a, a couple years ago and it was just a really, really challenging um, scenario for us, a situation in our family, but it all was born out of my own passivity, mm. my own passivity. And so I've seen directly when men forego the responsibility of leading their families, engaging in the fight, pursuing the heart of their wives, leading their kids and fighting for the hearts of their kids, when they do those things, when we do those things or, or fail to do those things, man, our families, our families burn. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Hey, what do you want your legacy to be? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a great question. I, I think, I, actually, I, about a year ago or so, I wrote a mission statement for my marriage. Mm. And my mission statement's like this. It's, I, I want to selflessly pursue Vanessa, my wife, in a way that leads to her greatest flourishing. And so one of the things I've realized is that I've been a pastor for 15 years and many times I pursued my church more mm. than I pursued my wife mm. um, and tried to lead my people more than I tried to lead my family. And, and I realized, I think, over the last year or two that my first uh, and, and greatest priority in ministry uh, is to pursue the heart of my wife in a way that sets her up to live, uh, to, to live in her gifts uh, and, my, and, and gives my kids opportunity to live what God created them to be. And so I want my legacy more so than being a pastor or having influence where God may or may not give it to me. I want my legacy to be, Chris was a guy who selflessly pursued his wife in a way that led to her greatest flourishing and she flourished because he did that. That's, mm. that's, that's number one. The second thing is we're really praying and trying to help our kids and coach them along the way to, to, we're praying that the Lord would use our kids to go into dangerous places to take the gospel to people who've yet to hear the gospel. Uh, and, and so I think that a man's real legacy is seen in the generations that follow him. Mm -hmm. And, and we, want to, to the, we want to to have seen in the generations that follow us and me, generations that follow me, our kids taking the gospel to people who've never heard the gospel. Wow. And that what that implies is that they're personally pursuing holiness mm -hmm. and that they understand who God created them to be and they're living that out in the world. Well, you're raising bold kids. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, you're teaching them about Christ, you're giving them a foundation, but you're empowering them and challenging them to be bold. Yeah. You know, and, and, and not just sit back, right? Yeah, so absolutely. Give us two takeaways. And we talk about, I mean, this is so good, Chris. I mean, because... Man, I mean, every guy struggles, and you go back to those things you talked about earlier, you know, yeah. whether it's pornography or just the passivity in our lives, but, but give us two takeaways today about being spiritual leaders. How, how do we do that? Give us two things. Yeah, I, I think the first, uh, uh, well, man, I could say several things. I think one thing is recognize your own desperation for the Lord. Mm. Stop today trying to be better and recognize you can't do it and and pers and, and, and that you are uh, deeply and utterly desperate for the Lord to do it in your life for mm. you. Um, I think that's incredibly important. That's number one. Um, the second thing I would say is reject passivity and engage the fight. Uh, Jim Elliott said, it was a missionary, you know Jim Elliott, yeah. he, he, said, he said, wherever you are, be all there. Hmm. And, and I think men struggle with that sometimes. In fact, I think we even will, will get ourselves busy with certain activities in order to disengage mentally or emotionally from something else. Um, right, and so I, I think it's important to, and I've struggled with that my own life. I think it's important uh, that that we reject passivity 
and engage the fight every second of our lives. And I think it's important to remind ourselves periodically throughout the day. I keep a pretty tight schedule to try to be productive and I have different models that I use to try to keep, maintain productivity. And, and so sometimes I'll put reminders in my phone or in my, my task management system just to say, engage, mm-hmm. engage, engage, to remind myself periodically throughout the day to reject passivity and engage the fight. So I think those are the two things. Yeah, I, I love that. Wherever you are, be all there. Be all there. Isn't that yeah. great? It's a great statement. Yeah, I mean, wow. Yeah. So, ah, I, I wish we had more time. I yeah. love this. I'm just kind of getting into it. Uh, all right, but I know we get questions. Thomas? Some questions that have come in. Question one here, Chris. You touched on the lack of authentic relationships being a key issue men face. I've had several failed mentoring relationships in the past. What are some key factors you've seen that help these authentic relationships stick? So failed mentoring relationships, um, what are key factors that help those uh, relationships stick? Uh, that's a little bit of a difficult question to answer because I'm not sure if this person is the mentor or the mentee. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I, I guess I would come at it from different angles for both of those, but I, I would say uh, intentionality is the key. I, I mean, just in, in continual intentionality um, and, and not giving up on continually cultivating those relationships uh, that doesn't come easy and it doesn't come natural. And so I would say that it's important to, um, to lead like Jesus and what Jesus did as he led was, was he, he pursued people even though people didn't respond to him the way he thought they should or, or would, right? And so um, Jesus continued to pursue even though people rejected him. And so I would say uh, in those relationships, when it seems like people aren't responding the right way, I think what I would say is um, just continue to, continue to engage, continue to cultivate and, and work those relationships. Maybe that answers the question. No, I think that's right on yeah. because I think... A, a lot of us, we remember back when we were kids and we had all these friends, right? Yeah. And we, you know, we played sports and man, we, we hung out with the guys and we would do yeah. stuff. But, but what you look back to is you had time. That's true. And really you were intentional yeah. because you were at practice, you know, two days a week, you were playing yeah. games, you were traveling on weekends. You were with those guys. Now you fast forward to today, we don't have a lot of time. We're like yeah. scattered. And then even when we get there, we're not present, yeah. right? And so we have yeah. a time with a guy to go to dinner. We have some... And so I think that's why church is so important. I think that's why community is so oh, important. I think that's why community groups, I think that's why you have to be intentional and engage. Yeah. And you can't just go, well, I went once and I was like, yeah, whatever. It, you've got to continue to be there. It's like practice, you know, that's where those relationships are built. So I think you yeah. nailed it. Yeah. That's good. That's you got good. another question? Yeah, this is a, a good one here. How do you get out of the ditch of sinful sexual aggression? Wow, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm so glad somebody asked that question. Uh, I, I, you, you have to have somebody that you confess that to. The, mm-hmm. It starts with confession. It starts with confession. And I'm so thankful that at a time in my life when I was struggling with some of those issues, uh, I had a friend in my life that I sat down with and said, I'm struggling with this issue. Um, you know, I, I need you to pray for me. I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to call me and say, Chris, how are your eyes today? Um, and so, man, in fact, the, the guy that, that I went to is sitting in, in the room here in Franklin today, Darren Clark, sitting right there. And I, Darren and I went to Ed Lee's Barbecue downtown, and we sat down and we said, uh, I, and I told him, I said, all right, bro, here's what I'm struggling with. And, and so I think you have to have someone that you tell. And so whoever asked that question, and maybe others are, are struggling with it today, statistically, I, 
You are. Yeah. Statistically, you are. Um, most of this room is struggling with it. All, every man struggles with lust in his eyes. And so I think it's important to, to, to learn the discipline of bouncing your eyes, number one. But I would say uh, you have to have somebody in your life. It goes back to the friendships and relationships yeah. thing that you're willing to just shed it all uh, and say, this is me and this is what I'm struggling with and I need your help. Until we can do that, uh, we're not going to progress um, the way we should in our spiritual journeys. So whoever asked that question, have somebody today that you confess that sin to. I, I would add a little caveat to that and say, I think it's important to get ahead of those things. Sometimes, you know, you, you never wake up one day and say, I'm going to go exploit someone for my own personal gain, right? You just, you just don't do that. It happens on a gradual uh, slide and decline. You know, you, you take one step that leads to another step that leads to another to another. And so I would say it's an incredibly important discipline to be able to, to, to begin to recognize uh, step one. If, if step five is where you step off the cliff, man, if you could recognize uh, patterns and, and attitudes and postures of your heart at step one or two before you get to five, man, you're able to cut those things, head those things off at the pass. And so I would say if, you, if there's an attitude that you recognize that's not honoring to the Lord, even though you haven't let's say, engaged with pornography yet, but you recognize that it's harder and harder just to bounce your eyes. You see a beautiful woman walk by and you want to take a second glance. At one time in your life, you didn't do that, but now you're really struggling to not take a second or third glance. Um, I would say to begin to recognize those things before they lead to other things, to head, head it off at the past and to have somebody to confess even just attitudes before and, and, and struggles before they become sins in your life. I think that you think you nailed it. I mean, you, yeah. Today, confess it today. today. Absolutely. You know, get another guy, talk about it, you know, and then start putting some guardrails in your life, you know? I oh, mean, guardrail, that's huge, yeah. I mean, it's huge, yeah. you know? I yeah. let my wife look at my phone. I'm just like, a lot of times I'm just like, here you go, here's my phone. Look at my text messages, you know, look at where I've gone, you know, look at the searches I've made. But I think a lot of times we don't have any accountability, right? Yeah. yeah. And so whether it's the iPad or whether it's TV at night or whether it's your own, you know, computer, if you don't have any accountability, then you're like free to go wherever the site goes. And man, a picture pops up and you're like, boom, click. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. you've got to put some accountability in your life. You've got to say, whether it's your wife or a friend or buddy, somebody, hey, check me out, man. I want to be sure that I'm not going to these places. Yep. I would say, I would say the right thing to do in those situations is to overcorrect. Yes. To take drastic measures. And uh, my goodness, uh, if, even if you've overcorrected, what you've done is pursued holiness to an even greater degree, right? Yeah. You, you overcorrect. You over take drastic measures. Maybe even if you're struggling with your phone, get rid of the iPhone, get a flip phone again. <laughs> or, or I mean, whatever. Yeah. Take drastic, yeah. drastic measures. Yeah, yeah Carmelo. That's all that too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Carmelone had a flip phone at the game yeah, the other night. Yeah. Everyone was cracking up. Yeah. But you know, I mean, that's important. It's important for us to, to think about that. And, and then don't live in the shame. You know, I think a lot of times we think we're the only ones struggling. Yeah. Every guy struggles Every with guy. it. Every guy struggles yeah. with it. Don't live in the shame like you're the only one. You be proactive and you be bold and step up and I get help. Yeah. Man, choose. We got time for one more or not? Uh, yeah, let's do it real quick. Um, Chris, you mentioned discipleship happens in an intentional relationship. What advice can you give on how to get started? Who do I disciple and how? Who do I uh, find to disciple me? 
You got 30 seconds. Oh my goodness, 30 seconds. Uh, I love that question. Who do I, was it who do I disciple and how, and, and who disciples me? Yeah. Is that, who, yeah. who can I find to disciple me? Uh, I would think uh, the, an, the, an easy way to get started discipling someone is simply to reteach the things that you're learning. As, as you preach a sermon, man, it, what I do when you're preaching is uh, I'm taking notes of things that uh, I can, in a way that I can pour into somebody else. Specifically for me, immediately, it's going to be my kids and my wife. As soon as we leave church and go sit down at lunch, we're going to talk about these yeah. things, right? And so you reteach what you're learning. So every time you're, you're reading a book, um, you're hearing Jeff preach, you're uh, listening to a podcast or whatever it is, if you take notes or journal, and I hope you do, that's an incredibly important spiritual discipline, you're doing those things obviously to grow spiritually, but also so that you can reteach the things to someone in your life, uh, the things that you're, you're learning personally. I think that's one thing. The other thing is, uh, so who, who should I disciple? Well, there are naturally people that are drawn to you, um, that God's placed in your life, that, that somehow are, that you recognize just always hang around or they, they wanna be around you in some way. And so for me in my own life, the, the guys that, that I've discipled are, are guys that I recognize that for some reason, they just, they do those things. They're just around, they, they wanna hang around me. And, and, um, and so I've just asked them, hey man, I, I'm gonna, you know, have some guys that I kind of pour into and, you know, ask to reflect the things about me that look like Jesus and trash the other stuff. And so I love for you to be a part of that. Are you interested in that? And every guy I've ever asked to be a part of that has said, yeah, they yeah. want to. It's just recognizing the people that God's placed around you. And if you can't recognize or, or don't know those guys around you, you ask the Lord. Obviously he wants us to do this. And so if we ask him to show us who those guys are, he's gonna do that. I love that. I love that. Those are great questions. Thomas yeah. takes notes every week. Yeah. And I, I love that because, way to go. And I, I get him to text them to me because oh, I can't cool. take notes right now. But I'm <laughs> learning so much doing yeah. this that I'm like, I want to be able to have those notes and be able to share with others. So, yeah. Chris, great job today, man. Appreciate Thanks, you. Yeah, man. Thank you so yeah. much. Hey, let me Thank pray you. for us, guys, right now. Father, we want to be the men you've called and created us to be. And Father, everything in our culture seems like it wants to make men passive and comfortable. And so, Lord, I pray that we would engage. I pray that you would anoint us with your Holy Spirit. Father, we can't do it on her own. We pray, Father, that Christ in me, the hope of glory, Father, would shine through. Mm -hmm. Shine through, Father, in our families, in our marriage, Father, in our work relationships, that we would live for what's important, that we would invest our lives in what matters, God. Thank you for the men in this room. I pray just a special blessing on us today. I pray for every guy watching this podcast. Father, every guy at the satellite campus, God, that you would use us for your glory, that we would be the leaders you've called and created us to be. Thanks for Chris and God, all glory to you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good job. Okay, as we wrap up, uh, our book uh, uh, resource for the week is Manhood Restored by Eric Mason. The tagline is, if you can read it here, is how the gospel makes men whole. So uh, it's kind of broken down into three parts, the scope of manhood, the problems in manhood, and then the redemption of manhood. And Eric is using uh, Christ from the New Testament to talk about how he alone can restore in all these areas. Some, some chapter headlines just to get you going. Uh, restored worldview, restored sexuality, restored vision, restored family, restored church. So that's a lot of what we talked about today, kind of that process of it starts with men, and then how do we have an impact on our family, our church, and then our community. So uh, we're going to give this away here in a second. I also want to encourage you to make it next week. David Thomas is going to be with us. Uh, David Thomas is a rock star here in Nashville. He's the director of family counseling at Daystar Counseling. You've probably heard of that ministry before. Um, they work with parents and children and restoring connections 
emotions uh, through through counseling and through ministry, et cetera. So uh, I'm, I know we all have it down on how we discipline our children. We all do it right. We have no questions about that at all. I'm kidding. Uh, but we're going to talk with David about that. What's a healthy way to engage with our children? So don't miss next week. Uh, thanks for coming and look forward to seeing you at 630 next week. We'll get going at 7. Thanks.